And I want you to listen carefully. Take your Bibles, if you would, please. I want you to turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. And while you're turning, I'm going to read a verse from Ezekiel. God used Ezekiel. And God said to Ezekiel, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? It's a profound verse of Scripture. God's, God is blatantly saying, one, those that are wicked are going to die and go to hell. But I, that's not what I want. I don't want the wicked to die and go to hell. I want them to be saved. And we take a look at the world sometimes, like, well, if they don't get it, that's just their fault. That's just too bad. We take a, an attitude that somebody else will do it. An apprehension that I can't do it. Or I'm afraid. It's somebody else's job, not mine. Look in Jonah chapter 1 and follow along with me as I read. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So now you have a definite command, a definite word from God, right? In verse 3 it says, But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man to his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came unto him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? Why, what is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew. And I will fear the Lord. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. They said unto him, What shall we do to thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was temptuous. Father, we ask your presence upon this next few minutes. And Father, may this story and your word and this preacher stir the hearts of young people to have a broader picture of this world than just themselves. May they see the world through a telescope and not through a mirror. May they look at others as if they were somebody one day walking on their way to hell. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen.
Here you have just a unique story, one of the most unique stories in the Bible. We all know the ending. But the beginning of it is somewhat tragic. You had a man that was a Hebrew, and uh, if I may, quite a, I think, uh, very much a racist even, if by today's standards. He didn't care about those in Nineveh. He didn't like the people of Nineveh. He didn't care if they got saved or went to hell. That wasn't, that wasn't part of his thinking. He just cared about his people, his own. But if you look at what we read in Ezekiel, it's God's vision and God's will that everybody find Jesus Christ. God's son died for every single person. It doesn't matter color, doesn't matter country, doesn't matter status. Every person in this world deserves a chance to hear the story of Jesus Christ. Young people, look at me and listen carefully. There's roughly 1,500 to 2,000 young people and workers in this room right now. If every one of us spent a lifetime winning people to Jesus Christ, it may be just a scratch in the bucket kind of thing, but I'm telling you right now, heaven, heaven would be a lot fuller and a lot brighter. But we, uh, we live in a day and time to where we think, not even cautiously, but we just boldly think of ourselves. This is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is the occupation I want to have. This is the money I want to make. This is the lifestyle I want to live. Let somebody else do that. I grew up in a large family. And we all pulled our weight. We all worked. When there was a job to do around the house or in the yard, we all had to, had to pitch in. My neighbors came over and wait for me and Dave and Pete. We were closest in age, two of my brothers. And, uh, and they came over to get us to go play baseball or play basketball or go swimming. And uh, we always had chores that we had to finish first. And my mom usually was in the midst of us doing chores, weeding the garden, which I hated with a passion, but we all had to do it. And I remember my, my buddies, and they would stand there and they would say, all right, we'll wait for you. That never went well with my mother. And my mother had the unique ability and the unique skill of sucking you in. And my friends learned after a few times of coming to visit me and get me to go play baseball that, you know, it was better off to wait at home until I was done than wait in my yard. Because within a few minutes, they were on their knees pulling weeds out of the beans. They were picking tomatoes. They were, they were tilling the ground. And uh, yes, we got our work done a lot faster, but me and my brothers, we always laughed. It, they, it's like they never learned. But we, uh, we never were allowed to stand around and watch somebody else work. We were never allowed, if something was going on, you pitched in. It didn't matter if you had good clothes on or, or, or blue jeans. You got, you got your hands dirty. You got involved. And the story of Jonah always grieved me. I've not really been a fan of Jonah, and my guess is when I get to heaven, I'll be very proud of him. But the fact is, I just never enjoyed hearing his story that he would run away instead of running to. Then, to top it all off, he gets on this boat, and the storm comes, and instead of helping the mariners, he goes and he hides himself in the bottom of the ship, and he falls asleep. How many of you are you're a sound sleeper? Raise your hand. All right, I am a sound sleeper. I can sleep on a rock, and I mean that. 
I have. And uh, I, uh, I get on an airplane, and usually before the wheels are up, you know, I am asleep. And I mean that. They, and uh, they, uh, about mid-flight, I wake up, and I do some work, but generally I can sleep the whole wherever. My wife and I were in China. It was a 14-hour flight home. The plane was barely full and, and lots of room. And, and uh, within three or four minutes, I had laid down on the seats because uh, uh, there wasn't any, many people on the plane, and I fell asleep. I woke up almost 14 hours later. We were coming in over Wisconsin into O'Hare. And I looked up. I said, we almost home. My wife was just sitting there just glaring at me because she can't sleep on an airplane. And uh, she tries and she can't. So for 14 hours, she entertained herself and uh, with most folks that didn't speak English. But the truth is, here you have these mariners now that were freaking out. They, the storm was going on. Jonah in the bottom of that ship, sleeping, fast asleep, riding the storm out in somewhat of comfort and ease, while mariners were throwing their future, their wares, their money, their, their goods that they were taking to sell. They were throwing those overboard just to lighten the ship of its load so it would not sail heavily. And finally they go down and begin to wake him. And the shipmaster comes to him and says, what meanest thou? Can you imagine your mother coming and saying, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? And he called him and he said, oh sleeper, oh sleeper, arise, call upon thy God, if it so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. How sad it is that the heathen had to go to a Christian to beg him for his God. And we all think that everybody in this world who wants to get saved, they need to come knock on our door and ask us. And that would be nice. That would be nice. It would save a lot of fuel and time and effort if everybody just came to our homes and came to church and uh, asked us, what must I do to be saved? But God's plan for people to be saved is for us to go out. It's for us to tell. It's for us to carry tracts. It's for us to preach the gospel and to win people to Christ. He never intended us for, for us to lay asleep on a Saturday morning or on a, on a Sunday afternoon and, and uh, just lay there until somebody comes and wakes us up and say, Hey, how do I get saved? That would be a wonderful thing, but it's not going to happen. And if it does, I've only had one person in all of my life come up to me and say, you know what, you go to that church in Hammond, don't you? And I said, I did. And he said, listen, how does somebody really know how they're going to heaven? And I thought he was messing with me. But he really wanted to know. It's the only person out of the hundreds and hundreds that I've led to Christ that has ever asked me, what must I do to be saved? But of all the rest that I've led to Christ, I went out after them. I went on a drive. I knocked on their door. I stepped out of my comfort zone and handed them a track and asked if I could explain that to them. As Christians, we're waiting for the unsaved to come to us, acting like it's their fault if they don't get saved. Yes, it may be if they've heard the gospel, but if they've not, you know, it's our job to at least tell them. Young people, I'm looking at a generation of young people who are asleep today. And scripturally and and spiritually, you're laying in bed right now hoping somebody else will do it. Because you're not going to. 
You may love God and you may love the Christian life, but you're just not going to tell somebody that apprehension has gone past apprehension. You just don't want to do it. Yes, Jonah had, had great apprehension about going to Nineveh. He had great apprehension about preaching to a people that he knew were, were vile and knew were wicked and knew would probably make fun of him. And he didn't want them to get saved anyhow. But he was at a point to where I'm just not going. And he paid money to go the opposite direction. And the mariners break him and, and come down to him and they, they cast lots and they found out that it was him. And then all of a sudden he was revealed, he was revealed that he was the one God was chasing and that people were going to die because of him. And I want to tell you, young man, look at me, fellas. I don't care how skilled in sports you are. I don't care how many brains you got in your head. I don't care how, what your goals are in life. If you're not telling people about Jesus Christ, those people are going to see you again one day and they may or they may not remember you but there are friends of yours that you're going to see and they're going to look at you and say hey what meanest thou O sleeper why didn't you tell me all of this about Christianity. I wondered why you went to church. I wonder why you dressed that way. I wonder why you lived a life like you live. Why? Why didn't you just tell me about that? Well, maybe because if I did, you would have rejected me or we'd have lost a friendship. It would have been worth a shot. It would have been worth a shot. Arise, O sleeper. Your church needs you. Our churches today need young people that, that not are, are not awoke, they're awakened. They're not asleep. They're looking at this institution of your church that, that, that have called out believers that is a central location in your community. And as Brother Judah and Brother Josh had already said, that teenage soul-winning program that you may have or don't have in your church needs to be vibrant. It needs to be alive. It needs to be awakened out of its sleep. It's boring. It's not working. You're not prepared for it. It's just something that you do. Or you don't do it at all. And there is a community around you that is dying and going to hell. Well, they just won't listen. No, they're not. It's not that they won't listen. It's they're not being told. Nobody is out there putting a track in their hand. Look at I passed out a lot of tracks in my lifetime and a lot more in the last few months. I'm going to tell you something right now. I've had only one track not get taken by somebody in the last, I honestly can say in the last probably uh, three months to say conservatively. He said, well, well, did they all get saved? No, I don't know. But my job is to give them the gospel. My job is to tell them what they need from the Word of God. Your church needs you. Your church and your community has a group of people around it that need Jesus Christ. And how ashamed we ought to feel if somebody dies and goes to hell within the shadow of our steeple and we never stepped across the street to tell them about Jesus. If your church were to, were to dry up and blow away and disappear overnight, would your community even miss you? Will they even miss you? Will they even know you're gone? How involved are you in your soul winning? How involved are you 
You adults that are sitting here, we have around 300 adults and workers that are sitting here listening to me this morning. How involved are you in your church? Yeah, you brought your kids to a youth conference, and I'm so pleased and happy that you have. But how, how are you in the workings of your church? How are you in the soul winning of your church? I'm preaching from a Bible today that was given to a man in our church. His name's Al Urbanski. He's in heaven today. He died in 1998. But in, the, in uh, 1969, a group of teenage boys decided to go sowing. We were getting ready to start Hammond Baptist Schools in 1970, and they were the school. They were leaving their public school, and they got together and they began to pray for their public school. And these five boys got a, got a burden for souls, and they started winning people to Jesus Christ, and they started inviting other teenagers to go sowing with them. And they asked one of the men in the church named Al Urbanski, he was a construction worker, a bricklayer, worked for as a supervisor in a construction company. And they asked him if they, they would drive them out soul winning, like Josh was doing here. Josh is an engineer. And he, uh, he was like Mr. Urbanski, he... These, these, they met every Saturday, and he drove teenagers out. And Mr. Urbanski drove teenagers every Saturday, every Saturday, for 25 years. About five or six years into his driving, he was given this Bible just to honor him one day. And he took this Bible, and he asked every young person that went regularly in his car, every teenage girl, to sign it. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens of signatures and stories and thank yous from these girls. And many of them are preachers' wives. And many of them, these are missionaries' wives. And some of these are, are uh, teaching in our Christian school today. But in the front of his Bible here, he has 1971. And he was a very logistical man. And he wrote 225 souls were saved in 1971 by the kids in his car. And in 1972, 291. In 1973, 750. In 1974, 344. 1980, and every year, a number. 1980, 1,981. And he kept a total until he had to stop driving because of his health in 1996 and tapped out at 22,000. 322 souls that will one day or are in heaven because a construction worker didn't sleep. His church needed him. His church needed him. These mariners on board that ship were dying. They were going, to, they were going into the water and their lives were going to be splashed out into eternity while Jonah slept. And we have people all over our area that we could win to Jesus Christ if we had adults, if we had youth directors, if we had pastors that would help our young people get out there and win people to Jesus Christ. It was teenage soul winning that was started as an official 
program of our church and it began to take off and it began to grow and grow. And I remember Brother Hiles on a Wednesday night as we had several hundred teenagers going soul winning from 6 o'clock on Saturday night to 9 o'clock and we eventually changed it to noon on Saturday. But 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 uh, these kids would come out and Brother Hiles would, would ask for 25 and 30 drivers. We need 30 drivers for teenage soul winning and he would, he would hold this service up until he got 30 people to volunteer. And it began to spread. Those First Baptist was a soul winning church at this time, but when the young people got on fire, the church did too. When the teenagers started showing up, the adults and going out and consistently winning people to Christ, the adults really got on fire and really got on board. And the Foster Club and the Fisherman's Club and other programs really got ignited. Young people, I wonder what you could do for your church if you got on fire for soul winning. Arise, O sleeper. Your church needs you. Arise, O sleeper. Your country needs you. We can give all the political reasons why this country is going to hell in a handbasket. But the only way to save this nation is to win souls to Christ. If you want to save this country, and I'm all for working with our politicians. I'm all for voting. I'm all for involvement because I am. I, I, I enjoy it, but I think it's a responsibility. But that ought not even compare to my soul winning. It ought not compare to, to my helping people find Jesus Christ. And young people, may God may be calling some of you men into full-time service today. And so you can spend your life in full-time service winning people to Jesus Christ. Helping young people find their way. Teaching in Christian schools and training young people to have a heart for God. And maybe pastoring a church or maybe going to a mission field. But listen to me carefully. That we're not going to help our country while we sleep. Nothing's going to be done. Nothing's going to be made right. We're snoring and just getting some Z's, taking it easy. Not my job, Brother Eddie. Not my job. I'm too shy. I don't do well in front of public. I've seen some of the most timid. I've seen some of the smallest. I've seen the most insignificant young people as, as they would think they were. Take their Bible and their New Testament. And hold it like this to somebody that was much older, much taller, much more seasoned in life than them. And point the gospel to them just like this. I got pictures of that. And I watched as I listened to them give the gospel to these men. As this little girl was just giving the plan of salvation, these men had tears coming down their face. Young people, listen to me. Your country needs you. This country needs soul winners. This country needs men of God. This country needs pastors right now. We can fill churches. Every one of the preachers that preach, that's preached up here could probably name five churches that could use a pastor right now. But we don't have them. Is it because God's not calling them? No. It's because we're sleeping. And last, arise, O oh sleeper. The world needs you. Didn't you hear, Brother Thompson? This world needs missionaries. If I may, I'm where God wants me to be. I mean that. I knew that from the time I was a teenager. Didn't know I would be working here, but when I got the job while I was in college, I knew this is where God wanted me. 
I took a missions trip. I took a missions trip to the Philippines one, one, uh, one year. And uh, several of us had gone and, and uh, walked into a mountain, remote mountain village, 12 miles in. Slept on a rice mat in a Nepo hut. When they shut the generator off that night, you literally couldn't see your hand in front of your face. But I remember laying there and just the tears flowing side of my face. And I said, God, if you ever called me here, I'd come. I know I'm where, you're, where I'm supposed to be, but if you ever called me here, I'd come. I took my first missions trip to Monterey, Mexico. Took about 25 of our teenagers. We took a bus down there. And I'd never been on a missions trip before, but I remember this in a very short story. Remember the Tommy Ashcraft. We went to his, his church and his school. And in a little bit of an indoctrination, he got up in front of our group and he said, if you're not surrendered to be a missionary, you're not right with God. Well, I'm sitting there thinking, where does he get off saying that? I didn't know him real well. And he began to speak and he said, I'm not saying, these were his next words by the way, he said, I'm not saying God will call you because you just may not be good enough. And that really incensed me. And I thought, what does he mean by that? He said, look, you may not supposed to be a missionary, but you ought to be willing to be. Amen. You ought to be begging God, hey, if you want me there, like a kid on the bench on the basketball team, hey, coach, come on, can I get in? Coach, can I play? Coach, can you put me in? I didn't go to practice. I didn't go to, uh, and work out. And I didn't do all the drills just to sit the bench. I want to get in the game. But you know, when it comes to serving Christ, when it comes to being a missionary, when it comes to being a preacher, we got to beg you, we got to entice you, we got to scream at you, and we got to shake you and say, hey, please, come, I'm begging you. There's a country that needs you, there's a world that needs you. We got places and countries and towns all over the world that don't know anything about Jesus Christ. And the one thing that all missionaries are begging for is help. 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 But we sleep as literally as the world burns. I saw when I was in Mexico people that were just like us, just poor. Geography and basically political leadership was the only difference between our countries. But when, when we took the Bible and we went out for the first time as our group had learned the plan of salvation in Spanish. And between 25 of us and, and about half a dozen interpreters that went with us, we won over 225 people to Christ. And in, in our frail way, presenting the gospel, these people were just, were just weeping. That, that, and that many of them we, we, we preached to and, and, and gave the gospel to had never even seen an American. And they were just weeping and just so, so impressed that an American would be telling them how they can go to heaven. And I'll tell you what, it gripped the hearts of our young people. And every missionary trip that I took, I know several of the young men have been called to the mission field, and ladies as well, because they saw that it wasn't that far away. They saw they could be there by plane in five hours. They saw that the people were receptive of the gospel. They saw that people's hearts 
and lives felt pain just like theirs. And they saw people with no hope and no future if they didn't know Jesus Christ. And they woke up. And they woke up. Brother Torres, you've taken probably more missions trips with young people than anybody I know. And he would vouch for the fact that this world needs, needs missionaries. This world needs people like you. The ship was breaking apart. The young people, the, the, the mariners on board, were scared to death. The only hope was in the bottom of that ship. Fast asleep. Fast asleep. I mean, how wicked. How wicked. Not even up there helping them throw stuff overboard. Not even concerned for their life, let alone his. Young people, I'm begging you, as it was said earlier this week, your life serving God is the best way you can possibly spend your life. You say, well, I've seen it be really hard sometimes, and I watch it. Every, every life is going to have some difficult days, but no life is going to be as blessed as somebody who gives it to Jesus Christ. And you will look back at your life and you'll wish one day that you had more days to give God. you wish you had more time to serve Him. And I don't care how much you serve God, you wish you had more. Let alone those of you that will spend much of your young, young days and much of your 30s running from God and fleeing to a Tarshish and sleeping in the bottom of ships and maybe one day God will wake you up. I wish you'd wake up today. I believe in youth. I believe in you. I really do. And I wish I had your youth today. I wish I could go back and start all over and, uh, and live another life so that I can give another life to the Lord. That's not a prideful and arrogant statement. It is something that I, I know that I will cherish once I get to heaven. When I, Al Urbanski and I look at this Bible, he is not here on this earth to, to read it right now, but I know he's in heaven thinking, wow, I, uh, I laid brick for a living. I instructed men on how to build walls and, and to line blast furnaces in Gary, Indiana. <clears throat> but man, you know what? The kids in my car, the people that I led to Christ, won 22,320. 22 people to Jesus Christ. He didn't sleep. I asked him, I said, Mr. Bansky, how do your kids win so many people? He says, I don't know. I said, what do you do? He said, well, at least, at least once a week and most times three times a week on my way home from work. I go to South Chicago and I drive around the area and ask God where I'm supposed to go on Saturday with the kids. A construction worker. He said, then I pray. I drive the streets and I pray. Amen. And I ask God to work in their heart. And brother, I don't know what to tell you, but when we go, the girls get out and they just win people right and left. Young people, are you asleep tonight? If an Al Urbanski can win more people to Jesus Christ than most preachers I've ever met, I wonder what you could do. I wonder what you could do. Arise, O sleeper. Arise, O sleeper. Call upon thy God. Somebody, somebody's getting tossed about today. Would you sit up straight?
backs against your chairs. I don't even want you to bow your heads. I just want you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask Grace and Truth if you'd go back to the platform, if you would. I want you to sing this song again for the cause of Christ. And while you sing that song, young people, would you think about it? Would you think about the kids that live down the street? Would you think about your friends? Young lady sitting in here today, graduated from public school a few weeks ago. Got to decorate her graduation cap. She boldly put on there John 3.16. Hey, are you willing to tell somebody about Jesus Christ? How many say with your eyes closed, say for little Pina, the word of God spoke to my heart this afternoon. The word of God spoke to my heart this afternoon. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? Would you slip your hand up? Young people, this many young people and adults would start telling people about Jesus Christ, would wake up, would answer the call. I can't believe for a second there, there's not a there's not hundred young men in this room that shouldn't be called to preach. But I don't think we're listening. I think we're snoring. We're snoring. Let me ask you to stand to your feet if you would. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. The young people will sing. Use the altar as you see fit. Come on. Come on.